0: Hi, I'm Kevin Delaney. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Quartz, and welcome to Forward Thinking. This is a podcast about recreating your career. I'm going to bring in Kay He. He's leading this project. He's an editor at Quartz at Work, and he's been an entrepreneur in residence at Quartz. Earlier, Kay was one of the youngest managing directors ever at BlackRock. Kay, you're the poster man for career change.
1: I worked on Wall Street for nearly 15 years, had a great career, but something inside of me was missing. I was comfortably numb, where I could see myself doing that for the next 10, 15, 20 years, but I knew that I owed it to myself to explore what that little voice wanted and was inquiring about. So I quit. There's this perception that quitting your job is this very rash, spontaneous, and unpredictable, and risky, decision. Many listeners are sitting wondering and wanting to know what is the playbook to do something like this. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast, Forward Thinking. I had the privilege to talk to incredible professionals who have taken risks, left high profile jobs, all in the pursuit of meaningful work. And they're going to share with us their struggles and how they did it. My name is Kay Hee, and welcome to Forward Thinking.
2: There's a few factors that lead up to me quitting. Think of a football game. In the stock market, it's like finding out that the referees make more money selling things to one of the teams than they do from refing. No one was really talking about it. I became outraged. Kay, in this episode, you're talking to Brad
0: Katsuyama. He's the founder of IEX. A lot of us know him from Michael
1: Lewis's book, Flash Boys, and his story parallels yours in some way. We used to be together at these kind of fancy business dinners with our bosses. And then as the night went on, we'd peel off at the end of the table or to the bar and say to each other, we really need to get out of here. We need to do something different. He never really identified as someone kind of seeking meaning with a capital M. But having lived through the financial crisis on a trading desk and seen some of the injustices with stock exchanges and high frequency traders, he was really moved and compelled to quit and start his own stock exchange called IEX.
2: I worked at uh, the Royal Bank of Canada my entire career. I was an intern there for two years and then I was there for 12 years. I didn't realize that you had worked at RBC your entire- Yeah, my whole career. I had left World Bank of Canada to start IEX. And what I noticed is I I have always battled high blood pressure. So I think it was stress-induced, but they said, you know, I stopped drinking coffee, cut back salt, and do this, and exercise, and all that. So I was trying to make all these adjustments, and just nothing ever worked. But when I quit RBC and started IEX, my blood pressure dropped. And it was at a time in my life where- you know, you go from making good money to nothing. You, you're putting your own money into the company. My second son was born three days after we started IEX. And I think that was the single best data point that there's a mental aspect yeah. to the way your body handles stress. Mm-hmm. You know, that gave me something to really like lean into to say, okay, what what's going on here? Given all the things that are going on in my life, how can my blood pressure be yeah. back to normal? yeah and i think partly it was the stresses of of kind of working at a at a you know at a large company there was a lot we had going on but also i think starting with a clean sheet of paper mm. what do you do like i had a couple things to do i had to raise money <laughs> we yeah. had to do but like instead of like this list of like 50 60 things to do at rbc i had like a couple things to do
1: yeah there was a part in 2009 where you and your wife are considering moving out of new york Mm-hmm and you said something like, I think I could be a medical salesperson. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Walk me through that dissonance of the golden boy and the phrase I saw in the book was one foot out the door. Yeah.
2: So I never felt an attachment to finance, and I never felt like it defined, or working on Wall Street defined who I was. And living through watching the financial crisis and seeing its effect on people, including people in my family, was really, really hard to stomach. I mean, the level of dishonesty and what happened, it's just that definitely changed my perspective. I just kind of felt a greater separation personally from the industry. And at the time, you know, we we're thinking about having kids, we we're just recently married, and I didn't really love what I was doing.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to go back to. You doing data entry? Yeah, at RBC. Totally.
2: As an intern on the trading desk, my most important job was getting lunch for people. <laughs> Some people would view that as as kind of demeaning, or this is beneath me, or I go to you know I don't go to school to do this. But I viewed it as okay. I'm I'm here. There's 25, 26 traders on the desk. It's about attention to detail. Hmm. It's about creativity. Lunch. Or lunch, lunch, absolutely. Order. It's it's one of the things that you have to look forward to every day. <laughs> lunch. It's like a really important thing. And I, I got that right on day one. They're like, lunch is so important here, et cetera, et cetera. So creativity is about finding new places. So I would do these like master lunch prints that were really, really well executed. And I like it. I found it fun. You know, I didn't view it as demeaning. I viewed it as these people need to eat. Mm-hmm. And I want these people to to notice me and, and I'm going to try to be as interesting as I can, you know, at the end of it, they asked me to come back over the Christmas holidays, which I did. And they offered me a job. And one of the guys said, like when they went around the room and asked if they wanted Brad to join, they were like, you're the best lunch guy we've ever had. Wow. (laughs) So,
1: so you you started at a ripe young age, your star.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's humility is a huge part of being successful. I really think, I think people can be successful despite, having a huge ego and all these other things, but I can't see humility being a factor that holds people back Mm -hmm. from being successful. And many times it'll open doors for you that might not be open otherwise. Well, go
1: back to the humility point. Sure. You said humility opens doors. Absolutely. I find that a little puzzling to hear from a cutthroat competitive industry.
2: For me, a lot of my success, if you can call, I guess, my career successful, I don't want to be boastful about it, but I've done pretty well. I would say the vast, vast, vast majority of people that I've worked with are happy that I've done well, mm-hmm. and have helped me, and, and look for ways to help me. And I think uh, that comes out of a place of of a genuine belief that I want what's best for them. In return, they want what's best for me. And so, when you have that kind of dynamic, and when you treat people with respect, whether they work for you or whether you work for them or whether they're your peer, I think it's really, really important to have that dynamic. And mm-hmm. I, I do think there are people that. That want me to succeed and will go out of their way to help me because whether it was, you know, 10 years ago or or yesterday, I try to treat people with respect. What Um, was
1: frustrating about what you were doing?
2: It was hard to come up with like a purpose, like a mission. I felt a great mission in building out that team, a great mission in leading that team. But when you try to put the team in, in in a broader context, I just didn't feel the same drive I felt, you know, early on in my career.
1: When you're thinking of alternative careers, yeah, how did you describe your skills to yourself?
2: So what I said is I don't care that much about finance. So I know I can pretty much do anything. So I thought interpersonal skills are good. I'm good with numbers. I'm a strategic thinker, good critical thinker, and I can, and I can compete under pressure. Mm-hmm. And if you throw me into any environment like that, I think I'll come out on top. And so I had a lot of confidence that whatever situation I found myself in, I'd I'd figure something out. Yeah. And so I I was okay with it.
0: People have this idea that you have a passion and then you leave your job and you follow that passion. But my guess is it's not quite as binary
1: as that. Following your passion is kind of a tricky thing. And what I mean by that is... When I left, I could not write my passion on a values board, but I knew that there was some fire in me that needed to express itself. I quit not knowing what that passion was, but as my next career started to unfurl, it started to become very clear to me. One thing that I realized that I was very passionate about was teaching. I loved being a boss on Wall Street. I loved mentoring junior peers. And now as a writer, and even with this podcast, so much of what I do centers around teaching. Thanks to JPMorgan Chase for supporting For Thinking, a show that highlights people who've challenged the status quo to recreate their careers. A big theme of this show is passion, and that's a big motivator for entrepreneurs. Actually, Almost half of business owners said that passion was a top reason they started their business. That's according to a 2012 survey by Kaufman Fast Track. Melissa Butler is no different. She's the founder and CEO of The Lip Bar, a vegan and cruelty-free makeup company. She started her company just two years into a career as an analyst at Barclays on Wall Street. She did both for a while, working finance by day, while making lipstick at night. But as lip bar orders started to take off, Melissa realized that she had to make a choice. So one day, while carrying a garbage bag full of orders to the post office during her lunch break, Melissa decided it was time to leave her job to focus on the lip bar full time.
3: You know, I believed in the business so much that I was willing to quit. I started becoming very frustrated with the beauty industry and with its linear ideas, its lack of diversity, its excessive amounts of chemicals. My goal was to create this idea that, that beauty wasn't linear by showcasing Um, diverse imagery within that beauty industry and increasing representation across the board. So I've always envisioned that we would be successful simply because I always knew that there was a big purpose behind what we were doing.
1: For Melissa, leaving a lucrative job felt risky. When she started her financial career, she had a dream of expanding on her family's future wealth. I felt the same pressures when I wanted to quit my previous job on Wall Street. But sometimes there are other, less traditional ways of creating wealth for your family. That's been true for me and Melissa.
3: I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. I didn't come from the best neighborhood. So when I thought about what the American dream looked like, it really looked like for me being a provider for the rest of my family. That was the motivator.
1: It took a lot of courage to chase her entrepreneurial dream and its potential impact on women. Others took notice. Hers was one of the first companies to get funding from the J.P. Morgan Chase-supported Entrepreneurs of Color Fund, which gave her the capital she needed to expand into retail. The fund actually started in Detroit with $150 million committed to the city's entrepreneurs of color the program has since expanded to other us cities.
3: so i'm actually one of the recipients of the entrepreneurs of color fund that says, you know, we know that you may not necessarily be ready for a chase on the large scale, but we're going to invest and figure out a way to provide funding to these small businesses.
1: this really helped her extend the business's mission and reach. thank you to j p morgan chase for supporting forward thinking. in next week's episode We'll talk to Melissa about starting out, including what would happen if she failed.
3: I did not have a backup plan when I quit Wall Street. I was more comfortable with the idea of potentially failing than regretting.
1: Over the next five years, J.P. Morgan Chase is committing $150 million to its global Small Business Forward program to support women, minority, and veteran-owned small businesses. By connecting entrepreneurs to capital, targeted assistance and support networks, the firm is creating local, inclusive economic growth. If you have a small business and would like to learn more about programs JPMorgan Chase is supporting in the community, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash smallbusinessforward. Tell us how your perception of the industry changes.
2: So I, I go from managing human traders to getting offered a job to run global electronic sales and trading, which group is, of machines, which is basically computer programmers, network engineers, people who designed systems, computer systems, algorithms to help people trade, and it just totally changed my outlook on stock trading because the humans are talking about timescales of weeks, days, years what I started to learn was that the stock exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, actually were selling high-speed data and technology to a group of traders called high-frequency traders, and that they had such a huge advantage because they could see prices before other people could see. They could react to those prices by trading with people who don't know the actual price of the stock. It just became, a, in a way, such an unlevel playing field that These pension funds and mutual funds are getting basically screwed every single day and no one's talking about it.
1: Can you describe that feeling that when you realize this?
2: It was so systemic and it was so deeply rooted in the foundation of the stock market and how exchanges made money that it was it it was totally offensive to me. No one was really talking about it. I became outraged. One of the first people I told about what was happening was the SEC. We, we prepared a presentation. We went down and said, "Here's our research. Here's what's happening." And what was interesting is, even at the SEC, some of the people in the room were as offended as I was.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And some of the people in the room were like, "Well, what's the big deal? This is the free market. Like, it's the high speed traders. Like, they add value too." And it's just, it became pretty obvious that not a lot was going to change quickly. Yeah. So the other option is really just go out there and try to build a different stock exchange. Wow. Like build a stock exchange that does the opposite almost of what the current ones do. Don't don't give or sell high-speed traders advantages, try to take away the advantages they have. And 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 so that's why we started IEX. So,
1: can you walk us through the day that you decided to quit?
2: So, there's a few factors that lead up to me quitting. One is that Again, we're still coming out of the financial crisis. We're a little bit recovered, but I remember in 2011 reading a story that said Goldman Sachs was concerned about paying people at Goldman because they want want to pay them enough money to keep them at Goldman, but they don't want to pay them too much as to outrage the public.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I thought, wow, the public is having a real influence on what people on Wall Street get paid. That was a bit of a concern that... The baggage associated with being at a large firm would kind of continue to weigh on me and my team. Another big factor was that because we went from 19 to number one and had a lot of this success in elect- electronic trading, me and all of my key people were getting job offers to go work at other banks for making a lot more money than we were making at RBC. It's like the analogy I use is like you win the Super Bowl and then everyone's a free agent with a salary cap. There's n- zero chance that that team's taking the field next year Yeah, if everyone's kind of acting in, in their own interest. So if I wanted to keep my team together and I knew I couldn't do it at RBC, there have to be something else. Okay. And I think the the last piece was kind of back to feeling in my bones that if we didn't try to do this, it would the problem wouldn't be solved. Mm-hmm. Like this was the step we needed to take to really solve this problem. And at the end of the day, it's a really novel issue and i felt like we were uniquely positioned to solve it when you're thinking about recreating your career one of the things that
0: often can hold you back is the people you work with these might be people you want to continue working with and what's interesting about brad's story right is that the this was in some ways a way for him to continue working with these people
1: brad talks so much about the team that they had during the financial crisis at RBC. And it's really cool how part of the reason to start IEX was, it was one of the only ways that they could keep this team together or else everyone would get picked off into different firms. And so the cohesion of that unit gave them the confidence to know that whatever problem they were trying to solve, they had the right, group of people in the room to tackle it. And hence, that's how IEX emerged.
2: So my wife asked me before I quit, she's like, well, what percent chance do you think that this idea that you guys have is going to work? And I'm like, I think it's about 25% chance. And she's like, what? But I said, but I think we'll figure out the right idea. I don't know if this particular idea we had is the right one, but I think Mm -hmm. we'll figure out how to make this stock exchange work. And she's like, I think you should go talk to Ronan and Rob and John. These are three of the other co-founders to see what, like, you don't want them walking into this where you think that there's a 75% chance that what you're Mm -hmm. talking about right now is not going to work. And so I went in there. I said, guys, okay, do me a favor, write on a sheet of paper, what percent chance you think that this particular idea, and it's not the idea we ended up doing. So that idea would have failed. What percent chance, this idea that we're talking about right now, what percent chance do you think this is going to work? They write it down, they hand it to me, I open them up. I was the highest at 25%. But everyone said, I think we will figure it out eventually. Okay. So I'm not leaving RBC because this idea is the one. Mm -hmm. I'm leaving RBC because this team of people we think is going to figure this out. Wow. And I think for me, that was a huge moment to be like, okay, we're ready to do this because we're not making a bet that we caught lightning in a bottle in a way. We're making a bet that keeping the four of us together is going to solve this problem
1: did you have contingency plans
2: what i told my wife is that if iex doesn't work we will pick a place we want to live we'll move there and i'll figure it out but it got to the point where we had a i remember we had a spreadsheet with a bunch of places that we were thinking of moving and we kind of ranked them all and had different things quality of life cost uh. of living all this all this stuff
1: so, you go back to the go back to Yeah,
2: go back to our original plan. You'd be in
1: Toronto yeah. doing medical sales. <laughs> yeah, maybe,
2: maybe. The other part, too, is that I knew by doing this, we were going to upset a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I probably wouldn't be welcome back at a lot of places. In a way, it's as the CEO of the company, I'm like the tip of the arrow. If we tried this, we exposed all of this, and then we failed, I would probably be too toxic. Mm. So, that was the contingency. You know, this is my chance. We're gonna take it and if it doesn't work, we'll go do something else and we'll move.
1: How did you view the riskiness of your decision to leave?
2: The biggest risk was the money and the fact that we had a young family. Yeah. You know, I I I never wanted to put my family at risk. Now I was lucky enough to have some money saved up. So I, I would say the downside was really opportunity costs of not making money. Mm-hmm. But because I was okay with the contingency, I was okay to to give it a shot and to move on with life, my downside wasn't that great, at least the way I viewed it, which is actually what got me at the end of the day over the hump to leave, is that when you really lay it all out, um, it wasn't that risky of a choice given my priorities, where my head was at, and what I felt was like a really great opportunity. So risk reward, it wasn't that hard of a choice.
1: Did you do, like, I remember when I left, I took amount of money and moved it to another bank account saying like, once this goes to zero, that I'll do the medical sales in yeah, yeah, Jacksonville right. <laughs> strategy that you had. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any kind of mental tricks that you used?
2: Yeah, I had, I basically looked at our expense run rate. We cut out all the stuff that we could cut out. We did that when when I started IX, And then I said, okay, here's how many years we have to make this work. Yeah. And I said to my wife, that at the end of this point, if we're not there, we're not going to dig into another part of, of our savings. And we cut out a lot, like, even things down to, like, I stopped taking cabs, I took the subway everywhere. We actually ended up moving. We moved out of New York. The private schools were too expensive. And, and so we made some big life choices as a result. Thankfully, it, it's worked out, and IX has done really well.
1: There's the advice of follow your passion or, or, or do meaningful work. Yeah. What do you tell younger, like your young interns, about the importance of meaningful work?
2: There's meaning you can find in a lot of work. You know, I hate putting spotlights on, on just like totally extraordinary missions mm-hmm. because there's mission to be found in a lot of places. And I think that if you're searching for a mission, a lot of times you're not going to find it. And I think for me, working at a large company gave me the experience and put me in a position to then start my own company. Mm-hmm. If I had left college and had just been focused only on starting my own company, I can't imagine what would have happened mm-hmm. to me or where I, I would have been. It's right idea, right time, right people. And you might be 23 when that happens, or you might be 33 uh, like I was, or you might be 43.
1: But how do you fine tune your sensors to be more perceptive to what that thing might be? You know, for you, it was the injustice in the stock market.
2: Yeah. I've always, my whole life, my wife jokes with me about this all the time. Like, you're always looking for problems to solve. So I'll be the person that sits at the dinner table with her sister and spends three hours talking about what her sister does to find that, like, thing that I think she could do differently. Yeah. that would lead to success. So I think you have to be curious. And I think you have to have an insane work ethic. Okay. And I think if you can have those two things, you're going to uncover things, you're going to take things to a depth that other people aren't willing to go. And in that effort, you'll find problems that need to be solved.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Brad. This is awesome.
2: Well, cool, no problem. Okay, Brad's story is pretty remarkable. What
0: sticks out to you having talked to him about it for this podcast and and other times as well?
1: When I reflect on Brad's story, I just think of someone who is just voraciously curious, yet humble enough to know what he doesn't know. And when you pair that with this methodical uh, approach that he has to solving problems, building businesses, building teams, I think it makes a really, really powerful combination. And to some extent, it's, it's not surprising that they were able to create something special like IEX. Thank you for listening to Forward Thinking, brought to you by Quartz and supported by J.P. Morgan Chase. If you want to learn more about recreating your career, please visit qz.com slash work. And to learn more about me, your host, please visit radreads.co. This podcast was produced by Jessica Glazer and Oluwakemi Aladesui with additional production support from N2 Communications and original score by Hannes Brown. Next time, I talk to Manush Zomorodi who started her own media company after quitting her job at WNYC. She tried to build a startup while doing a day job, but a friend told her she had to pick one.
3: I can't remember who it was said to me, they're like, if you're really gonna do this, like really gonna do this, there's only so many hours in the day and you're gonna want to give it your absolute laser focus.